You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back, guys, to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today with us, we have David Tupin. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, bro. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for making the time to come on the show, even though you just got off a flight. Uh, so greatly appreciated. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, Dave Tupin, I'm co-founder and owner of Obsidian Capital. We're an Austin-based, Austin, Texas-based uh, multifamily uh, real estate investment and development firm. So that's kind of the, the short background. I also own a software company that's in development, a real estate software. So I've got a couple different things going on. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're doing all things real estate. So talk to us how you started getting uh, involved in real estate investing. I think that's a, a good point to start. Let people know kind of where you, you came from for all this. Sure. Yeah. So um, I started investing in college when I was, I just turned 20 years old. Um, I remember I had set a goal as my junior year of college. I, I'd written down a goal. I want 10 rental units by the time I was 25. I was talking about single family homes. Um, you know, I, I, some more studying and reading later, I read the 10X rule by Grant Cardone. I changed my goal to, I want 500 units within three years. Wow. Uh, that was in uh, April of 2016. In March of 2019, I closed on a deal that put me up to 520 apartments. So uh, wow. 24 years Congrats. old, I bought about $60 million in multifamily property. Uh, and I'm growing um, with one of the fastest growing software, real estate software companies for multifamily acquisitions and analysis. Um, so mainly spend most of my time doing the multifamily stuff. I started, you know, smaller uh, on some wholesales and then um, first multifamily deal was a 12 unit. So I didn't start very big, but uh, just started there and kind of grew it. Dude, you are, you are nuts. Okay. So I just want to like put that out. You're, you're crazy. And I love that. And that's why I wanted to have you on because you have accomplished so much in such a short amount of time. And we're both younger guys. And I know a lot of the people listening to this are between 20 to 30, maybe 30 and older. And they want to do the same thing. And they want to know how the heck is this dude? He's 24 years old, acquired over 420 units. So let's start at the beginning. So how did you buy your first 12 unit property when you were what, 2021 and you were still in college? Yeah, still in college. So um, I had done a couple internships in college my junior year in investment banking. And so I got really good with Excel and financials and running numbers. So um, the biggest thing for me, honestly, was uh, I really wanted to go into multifamily after listening to podcasts, reading books. I wanted to go into bigger commercial stuff. So I did single family for like six months, did a couple wholesale deals, got, got right into multifamily after that. And the first step was for me just talking to brokers, going on LoopNet or other websites, finding deals and, and running the financials, looking at where the, you know, literally line by line, number by number, where are they currently at in their financial operations and where can it be? Where are the rents at right now? What are the highest and lowest rents they're, they're getting? And if I renovated the property, could I get the rents up another 200 bucks and improve right. the value? Increase that return, and, yeah. Yeah. And just looking at what, you know, over time, how that progression works in, in a, you know, from year one to year four or five, let's say, in the NOI, your net operating income, 
which uh, for those who don't know, is, is really the number that controls the value of a property. Correct, yeah. Operating income is your income, your gross income minus all of your operating expenses, not yeah. including uh, mortgage payments. Right, so, not including debt service, yeah. Yeah. And so once you, once you start to learn all those little things, um, really, uh, it became easy for me and I felt very confident where I think a lot of people getting into this, it's like, well, I can raise money, but I don't know what's a good deal. I mean, the first step in buying any type of commercial property is knowing the numbers. Of I course, mean, yeah. There's nothing else that matters more than the numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. location matters, right? And all these other right, things. Of course. But at the end of the day, what are you paying for it? How much debt are you putting on it? What type of cash out of pocket do you need to buy it? And what's your ROI? Because otherwise, you might as well go buy something else if you're making 4% here and 9% here, right? Or 20% right. over there. It doesn't make sense. So, you're not getting that good of a return on it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So that was my superpower. And so when I bought that first 12 unit, I was broke. And I was a college student. It was, my, it was the beginning of my senior year in college. And um, I... Uh, was that in Austin, Texas? That was in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. Michigan. I, I've only okay. been in Austin for about a year. So um, it was a 12 unit. I bought it for like 47 a door. Uh, and basically, I'd just been putting offers out and working with a couple brokers and the owner looked at the offer and he accepted it. And uh, I was like, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> what's you know, next? <laughs> yeah, what, what's next? I'm trying to, I'm trying to afford my meal plan. So, um, so uh, I, I figured out after just researching and studying and talking to some people that I could raise money to go buy this. Right. I only needed 160,000 bucks right. down payment renovations and whatnot. And Which isn't huge for a first syndication so no. to speak that's sounds not a lot. like a lot and it was it was tough at the time but now that's a very small number compared to the amounts that we raised so right um but at the time i mean that's a lot when you're starting 160 i got it from five or six different people i think uh you know 25 to fifty thousand dollars each and right. so um basically that's what i did i went i went door knocking and 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 networking and talking to people that i thought would have some money and you know i'd somehow convinced a couple people to put some money in. Uh, and really, I think the biggest convincing factor was I knew the numbers. I told them, I was like, look, this is where it's right. at. This is where it can be. You know, they're spending way too much here where they shouldn't be. I'm going to cut costs. I'm going to increase the rents. And we're going to be making, you know, nine, 10% of our money for your money. And so they're like, how much are you putting in? I'm like, well, none. I'm going to manage the deal. And I have zero gonna, skin in the I'm game at this point. <laughs> zero skin in the game. I didn't have any money. I was, I was literally broke. And so, um, but my is a sweat equity. And so I did an 80 20 right. split with the investors. I got 20% of sweat equity, 20% of cash flow, 20% of the profits when we sold. Yeah, and that's how I structured it. Okay. So you are a huge number guy. I can already tell just the way you're talking about this and the way you're talking about calculations, numbers, returns, you're a big number guy. And so am I, I get very excited when I run the numbers on a property. It's just like super fulfilling to see how you can adjust it. What did the numbers look like on this first property? What were the returns? Where did you see they were overspending where you could cut back? And where did you see that rents were kind of low where you could increase them? Yeah, if you can remember back, back. yeah, I can. I'll probably I'll I'll, I'll be able to remember a little bit. So, um, the rents were on average like six twenty five. We got them up to I think seven fifty with with not really even a renovation, just a slight turnover. We did like you know new you know flooring, paint, um, fix you know repairs. Really, just turn on turnover. We were getting that we weren't doing like new cabinets, new countertops, you know, vinyl flooring and a vanity. You know, it was very basic. And part of the reason was we actually didn't budget enough 
to, to do the renovations. But going in there, I thought it was in fairly good condition. And then, you know, after we bought it, kind of realized like, wow, you know, I, I was, I'm not as experienced as I was. Like yeah, it, your first deal, yeah. And, 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 and I learned, so I definitely didn't budget. I was probably 20, you know, it's only 12 units, but I was probably 30, $40,000 less than what I should have had to, to fix it up. And so, um, you know, I, I learned a ton from this little deal. And, you know, it was a flat roof and the roof was constantly leaking. The mm-hmm. owner had claimed that he had replaced or uh, put a new layer over it. Um, a roofing contractor confirmed it. And another guy came in after we bought it and was like, no, this is old. Like, you need a new roof now. And we couldn't, couldn't afford to do it. So um, at the end of the day, there are a couple of units that I had to go in and I painted myself. You know, I'd go in there and I would paint and do some of the work. And, um, right, the sweat equity partner. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and, and that's what I was willing to do to get my investors uh, their, their returns. And we hit the numbers right on the dot. I didn't, I didn't exceed them. I hit them right on the dot, though. Uh, and, um, you know, it turned out to be an okay deal. But uh, it was a great learning experience. Yeah, and, and that's usually what the first one is. It's a learning experience. And you want to do everything in your power to get those investors the promised returns because those investors will in fact invest more money with you down the line. So that's super important. So hence why you were in there painting rooms, doing all the work yourself to get those investors, those returns. And that's huge. And therefore I'm sure some of those guys probably still invest with you this day because of what you've done for them. Several of them do. Yep. So what is uh, You're 24 years old now, correct? Okay. So what does your portfolio look like now? So you started when you said you were 20, you're four years into it now. What does your total portfolio look like? This is yeah, your brag so moment. A, <laughs> yeah. Well, so I've been a net seller in the last year. Um, so I've sold, I sold $40 million in property, uh, almost 40 million in the last 12 months uh, because we bought them at great prices and the market's really hot. And so we're yeah. making a ton of money for our investors and ourselves right now by by being net sellers. Um, current portfolio, I own 136 units in Fort Worth and 108 units in Atlanta. Um, and then uh, we have in progress about 200 units in new development projects in nice. Austin. Uh, and we're building our corporate office uh, right now out in Austin as well. We're building just a single purpose just for our company. Okay. Um, corporate office. Now with, you said you sold about $40 million worth of property this it, over the past years or so, correct? Yep, yep, correct. Okay. So when you have sold all those properties, have you done any 1031 exchanges? Like what have you done or have you just taken really, you know, capital gains to the face <laughs> for the cap most part? Gain, yeah, cap gains to the face, man. It, it's oh, tough. Geez. So when you, so when you syndicate, unless you do a tenant in common structure, which we didn't do on any of these and, and most people don't, it's very, it's, it's more of a technical structure to do. Um, you, you, you would either have to take all of the investors money and mm-hmm. put it in the next deal, right. you know, but, but to do people the want their money back, right? They put their money in, they we held it for two, three years. We sell it. They want the money back. So, um, so that they can, you know, get the profits roll into you know, the next deal in the future. Or do right. Right. But, um, so, uh, we don't 1031. We just, uh, we pay uncle Sam, but luckily, <laughs> you know, real estate's very advantageous tax wise. So, um, you know, cap gains, uh, are a lot, but there's a lot of good ways to mitigate that. And, yeah. Right. Right off seductions, whatnot. So with that, just cause you don't hear about it that much with those capital gains that you have to pay, 
who pays those? Are your, is your business paying them? Is it coming out of percentage of each investor or how does that capital gains get paid? Yeah, I mean, we, we so for each investor, they get it and then they're going to have a K1, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tax return that you get for being an owner, uh, having membership interest in a LLC, you know, right. it's called a K1. And so that K1 is going to go and, and be looked at by their accountant, uh, you know, in addition to all the other tax forms and tax returns, their W-2 or 1099s that they right, might right. have. And it all kind of gets compiled together, right, with their income, losses, deductions, and then what's their, you know, basis on which they're going to get taxed. So right. um, for everyone, it's going to be different. Uh, but, you know, for the, the profits that come to my business, uh, you know, we'll pay taxes at the business level and then any distributions we take, I'll pay it at a personal level. So. Right. Dude, God bless CPAs and accountants. I don't know how they deal yeah. with all those numbers oh, coming man, through. Yeah. I like, almost got my CPA, but it wasn't, you know, I'm just, I'd rather hire a good one and, and, and not worry about it. You know? Yeah, seriously. I mean, like calculating the numbers ourselves on properties versus doing what they do is, is like a totally different game. And I don't know how they do that. It's insane. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so why did you choose multifamily? Out of all the different asset classes, I know you said you did some wholesaling, some some minor flips. What made you choose multifamily? I think uh, anyone that hears about multifamily, it just kind of makes sense. Um, you know, it's it's fairly straightforward. In my opinion, very low risk if you buy right, which is obviously the key in any kind of real estate. Yep. Um, so if 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 you're if you're buying right and you manage well. Uh, to me, it's an extremely low risk business. It's lower risk than any stock you can buy. I think it's just, it's as low risk as a bond, right? In my opinion, right. it's as safe right. as you can get if you buy right. So um, to me, economies of scale make sense. If you have a single family house, single family rental, and your tenant leaves, you are stuck paying the bills. If I have a 200 unit apartment complex and 20 tenants leave, I'm still cash flowing 70%. Yeah, amazing. Right? So uh, what's important is that you buy right. And to me, uh, there is a ton of money that can be made in apartments and multifamily, uh, by forcing appreciation and doing these value add types of deals that we make along with, you know, the ones that we hold long-term have great cash flow. So right. through syndication, I've been able to do a lot of deals. I mean, my first three or four deals, no money down. Now I invest in every deal because I can before when I couldn't, you know, it's a great way to get started where you might not have any money. So. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. So it, it, it's really comes down to, like you said, under one roof, you have 10% of your tenants leave out of one building that has 200 units, 20 are gone. You're still cash flowing and that's great. Um, yeah. And you're not always going to be at hundred percent capacity. Um, once you have those larger apartment buildings, if you are, you know, your rents are way too low and you got to bump those bad boys up. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. Yep. So how are you finding these properties? Are you working with brokers off, off market? How are you going about finding these? Do you have teams cold calling? What are you doing? Yeah, I do. So a couple different ways. We have great relationships with brokers. Um, we have uh, uh, a co-star uh, commercial real estate software. So we'll pull lists and we'll actually mail owners directly. Oh, and wow. so, so you know, some people respond. Direct mailing say, on apartment buildings. <laughs> direct mail on apartment buildings, man. And then, um, we also have a cold calling team of 10 people that are making calls every week. And the deal is kind of, if you find a deal and we end up closing on it, we'll partner with you and bring you in on it. And so oh, nice. you don't have to okay. spend a ton of time, but we're making five, 600 calls a week as a team and getting in front of quite a few owners. So 
Uh, I haven't bought one from that yet, but we haven't been doing it for too long. So a couple months now, uh, and it's been a good, it's been a good lead source so far. Okay. So what would you say is your top lead source that you've had with finding these buildings? Like which ones has performed the best for you guys? Uh, best deal I ever did was actually bought up a mailer is a hundred units and that was a great deal. Uh, but the majority of the deals I've bought have been from brokers and okay. broker relationships. Yeah. And they've been great deals too. So, yeah. Cause I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like if someone owns a larger apartment building, a commercial building and they want to sell it, they're going to get it out to a broker. They're not going to wait for a letter to come in the mail. Not that I'm saying the direct mailer approach doesn't work because it has, you know, I've, I've done it myself. Um, but I could definitely understand why someone would want to come in and, you know, go through a broker and that's how you guys are finding a majority of your deals. Yeah. I, 80, 80% of deals trade through brokers. I mean, it's, it's the vast majority. majority. So you know, the brokers and you're going to get, you're going to get the deals. Now I don't pay as much attention to the ones that are fully marketed and that people go through bidding wars on and they yeah, just bid up the property. It's not and a so deal by the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a deal by the end of it. And we end up getting bid out on a lot of those because we're a pretty conservative company when it comes to making offers. So, you know, in terms of finding good deals, knowing the brokers, having good personal relationships with them, they'll bring deals to you off market before they go and market it to a lot of people. Because brokers, you know, it, yeah, it's great for them to get the highest price. But really, at the end of the day, if they can, they if they can get an sides. extra 5 10%, uh, by going through a three month marketing process, why not just go find uh, somebody that can buy it right now at a you know decent price? The owner mm -hmm. will take it, move it quickly, and they get more volume because they're going to make way more money on doing an extra couple deals than by getting an extra five to ten percent on the price on you know the deals that they have. Right, so, and for those of you that are aware, right, exactly. And so for those of you that are listening that aren't aware. There's a listing broker, then there's a selling broker and it gets split up into commissions. But if they can do both sides of it by bringing you in off market before it hits the market, they're going to get essentially almost a double commission on that property. So they definitely want to get you in there beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's very rare in, in commercial multifamily to have um, two brokers involved, to be honest. Normally there's just right. the one that's the, the sale broker and um, but they want to move it quick, you know, and, and, and oh, yeah. so they're willing to do deals off market. If the seller's open to it, a lot of sellers, they just, they want to do the marketing process because that's how they're going to yeah. get the most money. And it makes sense right now. That's the smart way to do it. If you're selling, we do the same thing. Yep, exactly. So obviously you're funding these deals with, uh, investors who are investing in your syndication, but where are you finding these investors? So I'm sure the first ones were networking that you knew, but how did you get, cause obviously you needed more capital over time with the more deals you're doing. Where are you finding these investors? Ton of, a ton of our investors come from investors that we've had and that have earned great returns and then word of mouth. Uh, they okay, tell other people awesome. about us and we get a ton of investors that way. Uh, we get a very large amount from um, social media. I'm really big on Instagram, Facebook. Oh yeah, you have big and social media presence. So from that, I get a significant amount of investor leads, uh, and then a lot of you know podcasts and and content that that we put out is is huge. So events that we go to, networking. I mean, anyone can be an investor, right? We're just looking for people that have money, people that have money that want to put it into something other than the market, the stock, right. right? And, and, and the typical investment types. And so, uh, you know, we believe it's a safer investment and can earn better returns. And that's, that's, that's our pitch. Yeah. I mean, 
I used to be really heavy in stock market trading, day trading, swing trading, like even more quote unquote long-term. I'm too young to say long-term, but uh, investing in the market. <laughs> and uh, once I got into real estate, I completely stopped looking at the stock market. I stopped investing and I put all my money into real estate. And I'm sure you're aware the last two to three days, the stock market has had some of the worst days it's seen in years because of the coronavirus yeah. scares. Uh, over $1.5 trillion lost. And one guy posted, you know, $1.5 million lost, trillion dollars lost in the stock market. Ask me how my rentals are doing. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there it is. Uh, like, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, my rentals how, are doing just fine. So, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, rentals and, and self-storage as well are super recession-proof because people always need a place to live. And if people are moving in together, they're going to put their stuff in self-storage. That That's for a whole nother conversation. But how uh, how good did it feel when you got the first commitment from your private lender or the person that actually put money into one of your deals? Uh, it felt great. I was still nervous until the check came in, but once the right? check came in, it felt really good. Yeah. And and it's just, now I'll, I'll tell you, raising money is a process. My first deal is 160000 as I mentioned. Second deal is similar. It's another 12 unit. My third deal, I was 21. I, had, I was still in my senior year of college and uh, I had to raise $1.7 million. <sighs> And that was by far the hardest thing I've had to do today. There's a, that was the most significantly hard, difficult thing that I've had to do in, in growing this business. And um, being 21 and convincing people to give me that much money was oh, not stuff, easy. Man, I, yeah. I was, you know, nine out of 10 were no's. And I just had to pound until I found those yeses. So um, in the end, we absolutely killed it on that deal made a lot of money for our investors. And nice. uh, so those people were all glad that they, bought into this kid trying to get him to put money into an apartment building. Yeah, man, let me tell you, it is like one of the most, like you said, until the check came in, it's super nerve wracking. And like when you get that first commitment that someone says, yeah, I'm going to invest with you this amount. It's just like, that's nuts. Like I remember my first time I, I had a deal. I presented it to this financial advisor. I knew because I remember I, I, I hung out with one of his kids, uh, one of his kids I used to be friends with. And it was funny just growing up and I heard him talk about how he was, you know, investing some money into a flipper. So I got his email, emailed him. I was like, Hey, I think I remember, you know, a while back you talking about investing with a friend, a flipper, possibly a family member. I was like, would you be interested in, you know, private lending on a deal for me? And he, you know, emailed me, send me the deets. And so like I sent him the whole packet nice. on it and uh, he just replied, we'll start with 20 K. And I was like, yes, like we, there you know, you we go, got all man. the, Right. And it like, there it felt go. so good. Once you get those repetitive returns, it just continues yeah. to, to escalate in. And so it's all, it's all relationships and you're building trust with, with people. Right. I mean, how do you yeah. get someone to write a, a 50, hundred thousand dollar, 500? I've had, I've had a million dollar checks and on a deal coming up yeah. here, we're about to have one guy put $6 million into yeah. one deal with us. And Isn't so how crazy? do you get people to do that? It's, it's all relationships. And at the end of the day, people do business with people that they like to do business with. Yep. So it's relationship trust. And I mean, not even, I, I think someone they like trumps trust because if they like you, they're going to trust you. You know, if they don't like you oh, and yeah. they trust you, it it's not going to go hand, hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's awesome. And I, and I, I have a ball with my investors. I mean, I was, I was with one of our, my big investors at the Phoenix open a couple of weeks ago on Arizona. I was just, I just got back from Boca Raton, Florida, where I was with one of my investors for a couple of days. We were looking at some deals. So, nice. um, you know, it's, 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 a it's always a constant, that's half of what I do. I look at deals and I communicate with investors. Investor relations, really, you know, you, you have yeah. to have these relationships with these investors. 
And it goes a long way because they're not just going to mail a check to someone they never see that's hidden behind a wall versus someone that, you know, they actually put a, you know, a face with the name. Correct. And and it all comes to having a good team too. And I've got a, you know, we've just got a fantastic team in our office. My business partner, Glenn is great. Uh, Our asset management team's awesome. Um, And so it's, it's, it's a lot about, you know, they trust not only in us, but they trust in our team who has performed time and time again. Right. Yeah. Very important. So talk to me a little about the, uh, the HUD loan. I heard you talking about it uh, a little while back. Have you done one in the process of doing one or are going to be doing them? Have not done one. Uh, Was in the process. We were early stages, decided not to do it. Uh, And HUD actually, HUD actually decided not to do it. We're in between HUD and doing it cash. HUD uh, looks in, every area and they they look at their risk level from how much have they lent in a specific geographical location and so after they dove in a little bit um, before we even got to that uh, the pre-qualification stage um, right. you know they just said hey we've 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 got too many loans out in this area it's not somewhere where we're lending right now so um, and it was a smaller it was only you know 50 units smaller project so okay so explain real quick to the listeners what is a hud loan and what could the terms look like in a hud loan because they're pretty favorable sure yeah so there's all different types of loans for apartments uh the majority of apartment loans come from government backed funding uh government insured funding like freddie mac fannie mae and hud similar to you know a lot of the residential loans that people would get on their homes uh, FHA type of stuff. So uh, those type of loans are the best. They want stabilized properties. HUD in particular has the strongest uh, terms. Yep. And what I mean by that is they have great uh, long-term loans. If you do a HUD construction loan, they will give you a 40-year fully amortizing loan, which means there's no balloon payment until right, you, know, yeah. you pay it over 40 years, you get it prepayment penalty for the first 10 years. So after 10 years, you're set. Uh, interest rates right now are sub 4%. So you get 40 year loan, 40 year amortization under 4%. Uh, you can and get it's a fixed rate, right? interest only. It's a fixed rate. So you who cares about paying years. off in 10 years? You're locking in that super ultra low rate. And right now rates are so low. So it's stupid. Yeah. So uh, you know, if, if, you qual- if the property qualifies, you can get up to 83% leverage so 70 percent down uh and you can get several years interest only i've seen people get 10 year interest only you know wow uh, we normally don't do more than three or four but uh you know it's possible yeah i mean it's such it's such a strong program and i mean everyone wants to get their hands on it because the terms are so favorable for a project but here's a caveat so so there's a caveat most loans that uh, fannie mae freddie mac that we do on most properties which carry terms like 80 20 loan you know 20 percent down right or four and a quarter interest rate right now 30 year amortization 10 year term uh which is fantastic still that's still great yeah um what's different is we can close a fannie mae loan on average in under 60 days uh which is which is a, a, a push you know there's a lot oh, of loans quick. being done right now so it's hard to get it under 60 days uh but we can do it uh, a hud loan can take nine to 12 months especially development yeah yeah, you have to go through a process. There is a wait list. I mean, there are several stages because they're giving you such a strong loan and they check every single box. 
another caveat, you pay a lot more, uh, significantly more in reserves. So your cash flow is a little bit more limited. You can only distribute profits, I believe, twice a year, biannually. So you can't distribute whenever you want. You can only distribute profits twice a year. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have stricter insurance requirements and stuff like that. So, uh, oh, they do also an annual audit. You have to pay for an annual audit, not, not just a rate, you know, you're not just getting your tax returns uh, reviewed, right. reconciled, and completed. You're getting a full audit. So it's a much more difficult process, a lot more paper pushing. Uh, it could be pain in the ass, but to get those terms, it, it's a You're going to have to pay for it, yeah. yeah I mean, you're going to pay for it. There, there's pros and cons with anything you do real estate-wise, and if there's going to be some really favorable terms, there's also going to be some stuff you're going to have to give up or, or yeah. you know, work for to right. get it. So that makes sense. I think HUD does a minimum. I think it's $5 million. I don't, I don't know if they go down to a million, but the other agency loans, you know, Freddie Mac has a small balance program, which is great, and it's good for $1 million to $7 million loan size. And so I always say anyone who's looking to get to apartments, don't really worry about unit count. Just, just do a, a property that's at least big enough to have a million dollar loan size and you get a Freddie Mac small balance loan because your terms are going to be way better and in my opinion, even easier to get than a regional bank loan from you know, a credit union or, or a local bank. Uh, it's just going to be way, way better. So you know, if that's 12 units or if that's 30 units, over a million dollar loan size is, is the key in my opinion. Yeah, Sorry. no, that's good. Um, with, with these properties that you guys are acquiring, that you're purchasing, whether they're off market, on market by broker, are you guys going in and renovating them, looking to plot some equity or are you buying properties that are already cash flowing well, or is it just a mix really? Everyone different. Uh, everyone's different, but we, we don't do anything turnkey. So everything's got to have some kind of value add component, whether it's light or heavy. Uh, and we'll go in and sometimes we'll renovate 50% of the units. Sometimes we'll renovate hundred percent of the units and get a rent bump. Uh, we had a property, we, uh, renovated 25% of the units. We bought it and sold it within six months because somebody came <laughs> in and just gave us a stupid offer. Uh, it was 160 units. Um, we have, uh, several properties that are, you know, five to seven year holds where we're planning on renovating all the units uh, and, and just getting great cash flow. So it really depends, but every deal we do has a value add component. Okay. So going after this value add plan for these properties, are you looking to go in and renovate them, rehab them? Are you ever doing refinances on these properties, pulling out equity, or are you really just holding it for a little bit and then you're selling it to pay back investors? Uh, we have, I have not done a refi uh, I have planned on it, but then when it came to that part of our plan, we got such incredible offers that our right, investors yeah. were like, let's just sell. And we decided to sell. Uh, but there are a lot of times when you go with the strategy of we're going to go renovate this, fix it up, refi, get investors capital back out uh, and, and uh, hold the property long term. Um, which is also a great strategy. We're doing that on our upcoming uh, new development here in Austin. So okay, that's, that's great. That's the plan there. Yeah, we're gonna How many that. units are you guys developing in Austin right now? So we've got two projects. It's going to be a total of about just under 200 units. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And a third potentially coming up, which will be some commercial space and about just a little under 100, 100 more units. So. All right. And why are you doing, uh, why are you doing developments instead of looking for value add properties? Is it just the cost of constructions fairly similar to those? So 
I would not do new development just anywhere. Austin is a special market. It's absolutely booming. Uh, tons of growth. There's still a ton of um, demand for apartments and high absorption. So uh, they still need a lot of housing and uh, the rental rates justify new build. When I started to see uh, 70s and 80s apartment properties selling for, you know, four and a half, five cap uh, rates, and, and, and they're selling for 130 to 140,000 a unit. Uh, a unit? I knew a unit, a unit oh for 70s goodness. and 80s property. <sighs> when I saw that, uh, I said, let's look in, uh, me and Glenn, my business partner, we said, let's look into developing. And we are, one of our pro development projects is a, it's not a class A, all amenities. It's a step below that. Rents are going to be about 100 to 200 bucks, 150 to 200 bucks below the high end competitors in the area, but we're building it also for about 20% less. So it's very, it's relative. And our goal is that we're going to stay more highly occupied. So 70s property trading for 100, 130, 140,000 unit. We're building all in with land and everything for 135,000 a door, brand new property. Yeah, when we that's saw that, huge. Why would we? Why would we buy something that's 30, 40 years older for the same price when we get build it brand new? And so that's what led us to the conclusion to build. Right. I mean, even if you're buying those 70, 80 properties at 135, 140 a door, that still doesn't account for any money you have to put into the property if you need to bring it up to to par. Yeah. I mean, rents are going to keep going up here, at least in my opinion. So, you know, the values of those might slowly go up over time and with inflation, but odds are that, you know, something also could happen in the market and the values can go down. Why, why would anyone buy that, you know, that property for 140 a door when we can build it for that cost? So yeah, no. that was our point of view and that's why we jumped into it. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Now your partner, Glenn, that's in Obsidian Capital with you. How did you guys meet? How did you guys form a partnership? What made you guys want to do that? Yeah, so I met uh, him at a uh, real estate mastermind and uh, the mastermind's Rod Cleef's multifamily boardroom. And uh, he's just a really good guy. It was funny because I was a, the youngest and least experienced person in the room. And he was, he wasn't the oldest, but he was the most experienced person in the room. Uh, he's 51 years old and he's owned um, just under $300 million in multifamily. He had a 4,500 unit portfolio before we partnered and he had sold it all off. Uh, or most of it at the time, and he wanted to rebuild back up. And we met and just had some great synergies. Uh, again, it came back to relationship. Our, our, you know, a couple of the non-negotiables for us, and and you know, for me, uh, finding a business partner, integrity is huge. Uh, mm -hmm. We have to have the same values because yeah. at the end of the day, when it comes down to making big decisions as business owners and as partners, if you don't have the same values, you're going to make different decisions, and you're not going to mesh well. So Glenn and I have very similar values. Integrity is hugely important to us. Uh, we both love real estate. We're deal junkies. And, you know, I can text him at midnight and be like, hey, dude, you up? I'm, I'm looking at this deal. You want to chat? And he'll be like, you know, I'll text me back right away. Like, yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> someone um, that's the age of probably yeah. your dad, you know, it's yeah, funny. Exactly. No, exactly. His youngest son is actually my age. So it's, it's, it's funny that we ended up partnering. Uh, but he saw the value and, you know, I had done several deals before we partnered. So I had experience, not, not nearly as much as he did, but I had a lot of experience. Uh, I showed him that I was ambitious that I, I work everybody and that I know, I, you know, I, I really know my stuff in terms of buying apartments. And so, 
um, it was just, it's been a great, it's been a great partnership. He's not only my business partner and a great friend, but he's one of my greatest mentors and I learned a ton from him. So it's been fantastic. That's awesome. That That's pretty sweet that you guys, you know, have that large of an age gap, but that doesn't matter. You guys are still able to do business oh, yeah. so successfully. Oh, and we go mountain biking together. We have a blast. He's got a big ranch. We'll go out hunting. I mean, you know, so it not, you know, you've got to, you've got to be able to get along. I think if you have a business partner, you've got to be able to get along outside of work. You know, oh yeah. Well that, I think that's extremely important. So awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to cut back to kind of the beginning where we were starting mm-hmm. and I want to touch base on that 12 unit just solely for the purpose that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are looking to get started or are getting started in real estate investing. Now you said you got this property under contract. You had no capital at all. You went out to go and raise it up. Was this a full syndication or was this people just private lending to you? Full syndication, yeah. A PPM operating agreement, full, full okay. shebang. Per- perfect. So that's where I wanted to touch with the PPM. Where did you get this PPM from? Where did you find these attorneys? And how did you fund the money to put the syndication together? Because it's not cheap to form a syndication. Yeah, just a local um, SEC attorney we found. Uh, put the docs together. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, they're, they're all over the place. You literally could Google SEC attorneys, real estate right. attorneys, and then talk to a couple. I mean, a lot of people do it. So um, very easy to find them. Where did we get the money? Uh, the guy that signed on the loan put up the earnest money for the property and some of the project costs. But most of the time, a lot of those costs, like the legal documents are just paid at closing. We don't okay. pay, you know, the, 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 they'll invoice us and, and it'll be paid out of the. Oh, know, so it's like your attorney fees at like closing costs for the most part. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, and, and a lot of, a lot of costs in the transaction are like that, especially once you've done several of them and you've got the relationships, you know, they're just, they're okay with you just paying a closing. They know you're going to close. And if you don't close, they know you're still going to pay them. If you've done business yeah. together before. So, so yeah. And, and so that's a big part of it, but you, you're also raising money along, along the way. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that capital can be, you know, as you're closing on a project, that's what the capital be deployed to, to the cost. project. Yeah. I mean, if you don't close on the project, you've got to come up with that money and, re- and you know, get wow. the money back, obviously. Uh, right. So, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not preferred that you do that. And, and, and we, and we don't do that. We use our own money to fund the upfront risk costs. Uh, but you know, in the beginning I couldn't, uh, so, oh yeah, no. So yeah. how much do the SEC, uh, attorney documents cost the PPM? How much does that roughly cost outside of the, not related to the property at all, just the documentation, the time to form all those documents? Yeah, I'm getting some done right now where we're just getting the docs down and it's going to be about $7,500. Okay. Uh, so it's not terrible. We, yeah. We normally pay about 20,000 per transaction, um, flat fee, which is, you know, some people would say it's a little high. I would say it's, very fair uh, because our attorneys handle everything from PPM operating agreement, uh, purchase agreement negotiations. They'll review our environmentals, our title surveys. Uh, they'll handle the closing docs. They'll right. They do the all lender. the attorney work they that usually would happen. In a everything start to finish. And it's just a flat fee. And so, uh, you know, it's a little, it's lower if it's a smaller deal, but you know, right. 20,000 is really the typical number I hear getting thrown around in the syndication world. For, it is, yeah, uh, 15 to 20 is very, very common. Yeah. Now, how did you convince at age 20 an SEC attorney to do all this for you? Man, I, he's for, they're all for hire. You don't have to do any convincing. I mean, okay. I, I, think this is the, I think this is the biggest thing. And I, that's a great question. And that's um, the point and, I want to get across. It also, and, it, and it, also, it also shows 
um, a, a lot, you know, and I know you're asking that you have, you have a decent amount of experience in real estate. A lot of people wonder that, like, how do you get people to do certain things when you're that age? For me, it was like, I never went into a conversation with anyone, whether it was an investor, whether it was an attorney, whether, whether it's a broker, I would, I have never gone into a conversation thinking that the outcome might come negative because of my age. So no, good. a lot of that's people good. are like, like, how do you get a broker to take you seriously at 21? It's like, dude, I'm a buyer. Here's, he's there, he's there to sell a deal and I'm a buyer. It's his right. responsibility to put my offers in front of the owner, to give me the financials. He can't turn you down. You're, he, his job is to find buyers. So it doesn't hurt, you know, it's not hurting him to send you financials as a, as a buyer. So um, I think for, for me, it was a big mindset thing. And, you know, I talked to an SEC attorney. I said, hey, man, I'm going to hire you for this project that I'm doing. He's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. And I think uh, Michael Blanc, obviously, everyone hears that name get thrown around in the syndication world. Um, Who's that? Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Is this kid serious? No. <laughs> and uh, he, what he says is if you have that language right up front and you use the proper language and you're using the proper terms, no one's ever going to ask you for, you know, proof of funds or things like that. And it's true. Somebody asks you for proof of funds, they're either inexperienced and a wholesaler or right. they just, you know, they're, they're not, they're not legit. So yeah. I mean, anytime I get asked for proof of funds from somebody, I say, check out my website. And when you're ready to send me your financials, like I'll take a look. Exactly. I'll sign an NDA if you want us to, but. You know. Right. And it, it's almost, it, well, it's not almost, it is rude to like kind of ask those questions now. I feel like some of them ask them because they don't want to get their time wasted because they do have a lot of sure. people coming in. But, to play but legitimate, the biggest, most legitimate successful brokers I know that make north of a million dollars a year every year selling multifamily properties never ask for proof of funds. Right. I've know? never been asked for a term sheet. Yeah. I've never been asked for proof of funds just because a lot of times, you know, again, I go on the right with the right terminology and they're like, okay, this guy, obviously yeah, he's a buyer, sound, he knows what he's doing. If you talk like you know what you're talking, you know, if you sound like you know what you're talking about and you have experience, they're going to take you seriously. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. So, I mean, you call it fake it till you make it, call it whatever you want. Yeah, it, it works. In the beginning, it works. And, and it you got to pick up the phone. You got to be like, what's the cap rate, debt ratio, cash on cash return, like on yeah, this property? Yeah. They're like, oh, this guy's using all the terminology. It's We're good to go. <laughs> The yeah. biggest thing, one of the, besides knowing the numbers and being good with that, the other biggest thing that has helped me be extremely successful is uh, I'm uh, just overly confident in everything I do. I will like, good. even when I yeah. just started, I'll walk into the room with, the, with a guy that the third property I ever bought. It's one of the best properties I ever purchased. The guy owned over a billion dollars in real estate and somehow he decided to sell it to me. And it's because I walked in the room, I told, I showed him that I was ambitious, I was confident. I said, hey, look, I've never bought a property this big, but you give me a shot and I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. And he did. He gave me a shot. He threw me a bone and it turned out to be a phenomenal deal. So nice. um, you've got to build, you know, build some confidence and you're going to gain confidence by hyper-educating yourself. Take the first three months and study everything there is to know about multifamily, all the terminology, Talk to some brokers, practice it, go run numbers on a bunch of deals, get familiar with financials of multifamily properties, and you're going to be able to go in any conversation and, and just rock it out, you know? Yeah. So. It, it is. And it's very important to know your stuff too, because you don't want to get taken advantage of, and you certainly don't want to buy into a bad deal because it no, will okay. follow you. <laughs> totally. um, something that a lot of investors are hearing is the IRR, the initial rate of return. What is that number and how is it calculated? 
So IRR is uh, the internal rate of return. And the easiest way to describe it is it's the growth rate of your money. Uh, there are there's another similar, very similar metric called, you know, your average annualized return. And, you know, let's say, for example, you made, uh, you put in $100,000 and you got 160 back in four years. You made 15 a year. Your average annualized return would be 15%. Uh, IRR, the difference between that and IRR is it, is it more so takes into account time and specific time. So you can actually, you know, there's an equation in Excel called XIRR, and you can actually put the exact dates, uh, the amount of money you receive, the actual, the actual dates, and then, then the actual sale date. And it'll take that and it'll say, at what rate did your money grow from, you know, X date to Y date when you sold it, when you bought it to when you sold it. And it takes into account the amount of money you put into the deal relative to how, uh, how much your returns are and when those returns came in. So... Okay. It's it, it's hard it's hard you know there's I can't tell you an actual equation yeah you need like to see it on paper really y, too you know, yeah it, it's 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 a it's a complex formula uh, but it's really easy when it's in Excel and, and essentially it's the growth rate of your money and it comes out to a very similar number to an annualized return yeah uh, normally okay awesome no that's awesome section of the show I want to do with you today uh, it's called the curious cues it's going to be a bunch of questions I'm going to go over I'm going to fire at you and you're just going to give me your answers on those uh, first question is your favorite podcast favorite podcast oh man for real estate yes can I say yours is that no you cannot <laughs> you gotta say something else you're <laughs> no. too kind uh, yeah <laughs> uh, uh, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts anymore, but I'd have to say my buddy Rod Cleef. I uh, like his, you know, he's one of my good friends and mentors that really got me started. What's the name of his show? It, uh, 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 Lifetime Cash Flow Through Multifamily Investing. Okay. Obviously, everybody knows Bigger Pockets. And Bigger Pockets oh, yeah. is tr- truly what the first thing I listened to that got me started. I yeah, would not be where I am today if it wasn't for somebody referring me to the Apple Podcast app four years ago. And then I listened to one bigger podcast episode and that changed my entire life. Dude, tell me about it. When I opened up Spotify and I went to top business podcast and I was like, oh, this one looks good. And it was with uh, Graham Stephan or however you say his last name. You know who that is, right? I do not know. No, you don't. He's out of LA. He's an investor. That was the first one I heard. And it was just like, that's when like the light switch kind of, you know, went on. So, all right. Uh, Uh, Next, next question. Favorite book. Do not say rich dad, poor dad. Go. Not Rich Dad Poor Dad. My favorite book is Maintenance Man to Millionaire. It is written oh, by I know who wrote partner. that one. Yeah, my business partner, Glenn Gonzalez, just launched it a couple months ago. It's a phenomenal book of a guy who started his very humble beginnings to extreme success. And a lot of the, you know, it highlights not just the, the all the wins, but more so the hardships and the losses and, and right. what he went through and how he overcame all that. So great book, Maintenance Man to Millionaire. Find it on Amazon. Go get it. I, I just added that to my reading list today uh, as I was kind of peeking through the website, just checking out your portfolio there. Um, biggest hurdle you've had to overcome in real estate? Biggest hurdle, I mean, it was raising that money. It took raising me five months to close that deal. I had to extend it three <laughs> times because I just oh. didn't have all the money. And luckily the seller and the seller was tight <laughs> with me and he, he worked with me. But uh, yeah, that raising money at first was tough. Okay. Uh, favorite part of investing in real estate? People. Don't say the money. <laughs> the people, dude. It's the people. Well, obviously okay. the money. I mean, so anyone that I, I've always, I've always had a very similar philosophy to Grant Cardone and 
anyone that says don't work for money, I think is wrong because money gives you the ability to make a greater impact. I mean, yeah. I've, I've been able to touch more people. I've been able to inspire more people. I've been able to impact more people, donate more money. Uh, and I think overall be a better person because I've become more successful. Uh, but in number one for me is not the money for personal uh, I was like, my favorite thing is being able to give back. And that's one of my biggest, uh, nice. I think my, my purpose. So that's good. Okay. Biggest hero. Biggest hero, man. Would I get kicked off the show if I said Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're good. He's <laughs> no, a big no, I, he's, he's part of the real not estate. My biggest hero, but he, he is, I love his books and, uh, uh, you know, anyone that can take the kind of shit he does is still wake up and go as hard as he does every day. I just oh, hope yeah. I have that guy's energy, like screw politics. I just hope I have that guy's energy when I'm so, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm not a big <laughs> politic guy by any means. I, I don't like getting into politics at all, but I, and I know it's going to piss a bunch of people off on the show that are listening, but the, the way I look at it is he's a businessman and he's running this country as a business and therefore it's thriving, thriving successfully at the moment. You know, that's the way I look at it. The dude's not perfect, but he's certainly not blowing up the country, you know? No, and, and, and he's also extremely entertaining. That makes me somewhat like look, listening to politics, yeah, you know? It's exciting. It's exciting. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, the biggest hero, dude, I've got a lot. My parents originally really supported and inspired me to get into entrepreneurship. Um, you know, Glenn, my mentor, is a huge hero of mine, uh, my business partner. Um, I, have, I have a lot of other mentors that are, that are, I would probably consider, you know, great heroes of mine. So, Okay, awesome. And favorite non-real estate related hobby? Oh, man. I, right now, I'd probably have to say traveling just because I end up traveling so much uh, for work and, and fun. Uh, I love uh, cars. I'm a big car guy. There you go. I love yeah. boating. Yeah. What, are you, what are you whipping right now? Please share. Uh, I got a, about a C7 Corvette a little while ago. Okay, so, not bad. Yeah, that's been fun. But I, I'm, uh, I'm going to upgrade it in the next year. I took a, a spin today in the new uh, Porsche Taycan. Tycon or whatever you say it, the electric yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bro, this thing, real quick. So they have a microphone by the electric motor. They have four speakers, two inside the vehicle, two outside. Yeah. And what it and does. They amplify it. Well, no, they take out the the high pitch frequency, they take away, and they amplify the low pitch frequency. So I'm not kidding you. We shot off this thing zero to sixty in two point four seconds. I thought I was in Star Trek. It was just like <laughs> Like, dude, it, it was makes you, nuts. It makes you dizzy, dude. It, makes it you, does. I, I was like, oh. I haven't driven that, but I've been in the Tesla, the Ludicrous. I've, I've yeah, the Model the S and Ludicrous. Yeah, and, and it makes you dizzy. It's almost like, what just, like, why am I a half mile down the road in two seconds? I mean, you know, it's, un- it's unbelievable. Dude, those, those things are, I'm a big car guy as well, and yeah. uh, those things are nutty. It just puts you back in your seat, and you, you seriously, like, your head goes back, and you do get dizzy. Um, it totally it's like does. you're in like the Millennial Falcon and uh, oh, totally. Star Wars, and you just like going yeah, away. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, it's crazy. But yeah, you got to enjoy it and have fun. I mean, you can't just. Uh, I, I mean, I, I work so. It's all the hard work for, yeah, for yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, dude, I put eighty to hundred hours a week in every single week, and I've been doing it for years now. I, I don't stop, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. So, right. but I've I've figured out how to mix work and fun. And, and, and really enjoy and, and, you know, make time to do that. So I know I won't always be able to, you know, once you get, it's kind of the cool part about being young and I'm single. So, oh, you know, yeah, I don't have, exactly. you know, those other obligations, which is nice. So I think you should, you know, experience it, 
and, and have fun with, with your successes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure you've heard it and everyone else heard it a million times. Uh, if you enjoy what you're doing, you never work a day in your life, you know? And so if you enjoy the real estate investing, you're never truly working, you're just having fun. Uh, last question, uh, newbie advice. What would you give to people looking to get started in real estate or looking to continue their journey and just move forward or scale quicker? Yeah. First thing you want to get in a multifamily lease by, by a deal analyzer, by my deal analyzer. It's on my website. It is not that expensive and it's the, but I have a free one too. Just go download the free one. Yeah, I was playing with the free ones. Yeah. It. Uh, it's it's the most it's the most widely used uh, multifamily analyzer right now in the market. It has absolutely exploded in the past year, and right now I'm turning into a, that's the software company. It's going to be a web based subscription based software. Um, but the the first step for anyone getting into apartments is knowing the numbers. You have to have some kind of a financial model to help you do that. So that's that's the first first step. And then I mean, other advice, man, just. The only reason I've been able to do what I've been able to do, and I and, I, and honestly, I don't talk about it a lot, but I've gone from from absolutely zero net worth to being a millionaire in the past in, in under three years because nice. of multifamily, because of syndication, and and the single greatest reason is because I hustle. I outwork everyone. I am constantly going. And if you want, a lot of people tell me all the time. I get I get hundreds and hundreds of direct messages every week. People want to do what I'm doing. I love it. I think anyone can do it. I'm, I'm nothing special. The only thing different is I work hard. Yeah. You put in the time. You yep. put in Amen the time, that, you can make it happen. You can make it happen. Very good. So where can people connect with you, find out more about you if they want to get connected with you, or even if they want to invest with you, or can they go to do that as well? Yeah. Best way to connect with me is Instagram at real estate Jedi or love that. Up David Tupin. <laughs> uh, or you can, uh, or you can hit me up on my website, uh, www.obsidiancapitalco.com. That obsidian is spelled O B S I D I A N. Awesome. Just Google Obsidian Capital will be the first one that comes up. So perfect, David. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast tonight. I really appreciate you uh, coming on, sharing some knowledge, and uh, giving some people some advice in the syndication asset. No problem. No problem, boss. That was a good time. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thank you guys for stopping in this week and take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.